This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with Richie O'Tay. What's up, Richie? How are you, my friend? I'm great. How about yourself? All right, all right. Mary Willet is uh, out in, actually, I, I just got the, uh, the the word from Kelly where Mary uh, is. She is she is off to see her her favorite comedian Ron White. So <laughs> it was either us or Ron White, and Ron yeah. White won. Wow! I know. Go go figure. Wade's got it under control in the studio. Kelly's got it control back at headquarters, and uh, just had a really good episode there of Beyond Eight Figures sitting down with. Uh, I, I didn't even know this was a thing to be a, a pediatric radiologist, but um, there you go. You can make money pretty much doing anything there, and uh, and you can exit from that business. Uh, who knew? So a really interesting episode there, and um, as promised, I shared that uh, I was uh, kind of a little, a little more dapper than usual today, and, and Richie was like, why are you all dressed up? And uh, I was like, well, uh, and we didn't cover this on the show, but I promised I would cover it here on Reimagined Radio. Uh, I, I, I was in court this morning, so I had to look, uh, had, to, had, to, had to look a little more professional. Uh, why were you in court this morning, Steve? Right? Next yeah. question. Uh, so here is uh, an interesting, I don't even know how else to describe it other than an interesting uh, little scenario that uh not uh, i didn't have to deal with per se but my son isaiah who's uh, now 15 had to deal with he um he has been the object of a of a young man's affection uh in high school so isaiah's a freshman well he just you know finished his freshman year now so he's going on to his sophomore year so he's been the object of this young man's affection since uh, eighth grade and uh, unrequited. It's not just, you know, nothing, I'm not saying anything other than it was just unrequited. And um, and this young man who has this crush on Isaiah is uh, a little, uh, let's just say he has um, some developmental issues that, uh, that, that are go- going on there and uh, didn't take too kindly to the, um, to the, mm, uh, he didn't accept the advances, so to speak, right? So he didn't take too kindly to that. And since eighth grade, he's kind of been, you know, just verbally taunting him, doing some things on on social media. This is the other boy to our son, Isaiah. And got a little little ugly in uh, eighth grade there. I think he threw something at Isaiah. And, you know, just kind of is what it is. Okay, fine, all well and good. Well, about three weeks ago... I think it's going on three weeks now. There was, um, I think there was a week and a half left of uh, of school, so about three weeks, uh, three weeks ago, we get a call in the middle of the night. So my my wife's phone rings, and we get a call in the middle of the night. My wife's phone rings, and you know it's like two in the morning, two thirty in the morning. We're sound asleep, and phone rings. I'm like, uh, honey, I think your phone is ringing, right? She's like, uh, forget it, right? Yeah, all these spam calls, robocalls, you just never know who's calling when, doing what. And so we just ignore it. And then the phone rings again. She's like, eh, I, I guess I need to pick this up. 
so the person on the other end of the line was somebody who works for a psychiatric evaluation response unit or something of that nature in San Diego. And, and he's calling to say, basically, uh, well, we just, we, by law, we're required to let you know that a death threat was issued against your son and the person who issued this death threat uh, has been taken into custody because he called our number to say that he's thinking about killing these five people. He called our psychiatric number to say he's thinking about killing these five people. And by law, we're required to, to, to have to bring this to your attention. And so the psychiatric number, whatever it is that he calls, required by law to call the police. The police went, they picked up this young man, and they put him in jail. Well, about an hour later, the police called us to say, hey, you know, we picked up this young man, death threats were issued against your son and four other students at the, the high school. We need you to know about this, right? So needless to say, it was, uh, it was a really scary thing, right? I mean, that's, that's a, about as scary as it gets. And so we went into the high school the next day. Well, my wife went into the high school the next day um, to talk to the school about it, make sure they knew about it. Uh, they were sort of aware of it. This was all, a whole new thing. And the only thing that we were able to really do because they were letting this child go, they couldn't keep him unless he wanted to be kept in psych psychiatric care, is we could get a restraining order issued against him. And the school couldn't do anything. They couldn't completely expel him because it didn't happen on school grounds. And it's possible that child may actually come back to school in the fall. They did suspend him for the rest of the year. But when we went to court uh, the following day, we were able to get a temporary restraining order. I went to court today to try to get the full restraining order, but the sheriff was unable to serve this young man. So we'll be going back to court, and then that will be the next time you see me all dappered up. So um, interesting how, how life works and uh, how we end up where we end up. And, and just, you know, needless to say, it's... It's been very traumatic uh, for us, Very been, been very traumatic for our son. Uh, and, and that chapter, final chapter, has yet to be written there. So we'll see, see how all of that unfolds. But that's the reason for the, uh, the dress-up today. And, um, and so it's interesting. I know the story is a little bit off of topic, if you will, for what we're going to be talking about here today with, with Lonnie. Yes and no, though. Yes and no, right? And you and I were talking about that before the show. Uh, but let's let's welcome our guests. And now that you've got a sense of, well, we, we also, and by the way, we do have a YouTube channel. So check out uh, our videos uh, of Reinvention Radio and of Beyond Eight Figures uh, on YouTube. So you can see all of our smiling faces and you can see how dapper I am today. And you can see our wonderful guest, Lonnie, Lonnie Yamasaki, who is joining us as well. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it, the point being you were saying sort of yes and no. When we were talking about this before. It's well, let me let me do this. Let, let's bring on Lonnie and let's give Lonnie an opportunity to, to share a little bit about uh, why you're joining us here today and what we're going to be talking about. Um, and then where the intersection of that story and, and what Lonnie does, uh, you know, kind of meshes in, in, in some ways it kind of does. But Lonnie, uh, welcome to Reinvention Radio. How are you doing, my friend? Aloha, Steve. Aloha, Richard. I'm doing great, and I'm so honored and excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really honored and excited to have you here as well. And so let's um, let's do this first. Let's just give you an opportunity 
Uh, I mean, you've got a, an incredible story, incredible background, so so much ground that we can cover. But uh, in, in a nutshell, why don't you talk a little bit uh, about the, the, the name that we've given to this show and, and why we've named this episode what we've named it, uh, and then a little bit about your background so people understand who you are. Okay. Well, the name of our episode is Reinventing Ancestral Legacy, and why we came to this is because I believe that we are all born with a kuleana, a responsibility that's given to us, not only by our creator, but by our ancestors. And that's really our role. And Steve, you talk about, it's your purpose. This is what you're about, right? So it's our role really to understand what our kuleana, what our responsibility is in this lifetime, and also what came to us to, through our ancestors. What are the gifts that our ancestors gave to us? And in recognizing these gifts and harnessing these gifts, how can we bring this to the world to actually make it a better place, to leave a legacy behind that actually enhances community welfare and that also helps to take care of our aina or our land and environment? Mm -hmm. And so you're, for those who are not watching us live right now, we do broadcast live as well, both video and audio. If you're not watching us live, you can't see Lonnie. And, uh, you know, what, what you may not know is that, well, would you say, and just when, when you talk about your, your lineage, how would you define your lineage, right? Because, I mean, with the name of Yamasaki, one impression might be made, but you know, that's that not says you're you're very let's just say you're very entrenched, obviously, in Hawaiian culture. And so Yamasaki on the surface, you just think, oh, well, OK, you know, Japanese. But it's but it's give us an understanding of how you would define your lineage. Just want to make sure that people are clear on that, because obviously you're really entrenched in the Hawaiian culture. But there, there's so much more to you than that. Sure. So I am very typical of a child found in Hawaii. I'm considered Hapa, and Hapa is of mixed ancestry. So I'm Hawaiian, I'm Chinese, and I'm Japanese, and I'm English. So I was raised with this with this uh, multicultural background. Um, and you can really look at the different way I was raised with foods, for instance, mm -hmm. right? And But I most typically identify with being Hawaiian because that is, we're a matriarchal community in Hawaii. And my mother is Hawaiian. So I was really raised strongly with Hawaiian values and belief systems and practices. Yeah. And so give us an understanding then of as, because there's, I guess the best way to put it is that there's been a lot of, of prejudice and then there's been you know, you go you go far enough back, and and when you think about kind of what the white man, America, whoever you know, however we want to term this here, you know, what we did to Hawaii, not not a lot of good things took place when uh, when when Hawaii came under uh, sort of our um, once we found you guys, I guess is the best way to put it, right? So. I know, I know that's a subject that's kind of near and dear to your heart. Can you kind of fill in the blanks for, for some folks in terms of going way, way back? And Because this ties into the work that you're currently doing. But going way, way back when Hawaii was just sort of this pristine uh, set of islands onto itself. And then the ship landed, right? Just, just give us a little bit more of an understanding of, uh, of, of what's transpired 
because again, I don't think everybody really knows the the full story of uh, of what's happened there on those islands. Yeah, I think that a lot of people uh, still have the perception that. Well, first of all, let me just say I love Hawaii. I think Hawaii is one of the best places and one of the healthiest places to live in the world. And our history is interesting in that our culture began to really rapidly evolve. And I'm just sharing the views of my family. I'm not speaking for the Hawaiian community in general. Sure. I have to make that point. Yeah. So our culture began, Hawaiian culture began to rapidly evolve when with the arrival of Captain James Cook who came to the islands in 1778. And uh, after that, I'm going to fast forward in 1819, the whalers came to Hawaii, bringing in more Western culture. Now, Hawaii was pristine. We didn't have the known diseases that we have now. We didn't even have mosquitoes at that time. So the Hawaiian population was very, very vulnerable. So if you keep on fasting forward and you're looking at the missionaries then coming in, uh, the American missionaries coming in, in 1820, they also brought in their set of beliefs. And our Hawaiian community, being a very spiritual community, was very open to welcoming the missionaries. And I have to share that my ancestor, Heva Heva, was the high priest of Kamehameha I. And he also welcomed in the missionaries because the prediction was, what he saw is that visitors would be coming, carrying a very, very powerful black box, and that block a black box would be God, would contain the wisdom and the power of God. So the missionaries were really embraced. And and it's because we are a spiritual community, right? Mm -hmm. So you fast forward even more. um, And the illegal overthrow of Hawaii happened in 1893 when Queen Lili'uokalani was actually uh, disposed from from her throne. And... You know, when we look at all of this, um, 100 years after Captain Cook came to the shores of Hawaii, there was less than 10% of the Hawaiian population remaining. By that time, we were taken away really from, um, we were displaced from our traditional lands. And when you're displaced from any culture, I believe, is displaced from their traditional homelands, their belief systems began to change because of that connection to the land and particularly the spiritual connection and practices that come with being, in our case, stewards to the land. Mm -hmm. And so when this happened, when this displacement happened from not only our land, but from also our, our spiritual traditions associated with caretaking the land, that's when a really, that's when the questions began to ask, well, who am I? Who, who are we as a community? Who are we as a community? And the demise began to happen to where we are now, which is um, presently, when you look at the population in Hawaii, we remain the lowest in social economic demographics. And meaning we make the least amount of money. We have the most people that are incarcerated. Um, we are the, the least educated um, and we have the most amounts of diabetes and cancer, mm. hypertension, you name it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and so you're talking specifically about those of Hawaiian, that, that ancestral lineage, correct? So yes. What, so why do you think that is? Because, I mean, on the surface, when people look at, at Hawaii, I, I don't think that those those notions really come to mind. I mean, you know, if you've been on the island of Maui as an example. I mean, you've got a 
it seems like you got a lot of wealth there. You've got, you know, I mean, just poor and uneducated and obese or diabetes. Like, these aren't terms that come to mind when you think about Hawaii, right? So what what happened exactly, or what, what do you think happened that led to, you know, what, what's going on there on the, on the islands? It, it again goes back to the displacement of peoples from the land. And when I say that, you know, this is our home. We were, you know, we're born and raised here. However, the concept historically, back to our ancestral times of land ownership was not there. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. when you come in as being stewards to the land, and when you come in with understanding part of being a steward is being interdependent with Keokua, our name for the creator, what we say God. Mm-hmm. Our, our families, our communities, and nature, when that, what we call lokahi, when that value system is broken down, that gave us this, when we had lokahi intact, right? And again, lokahi literally means harmony and in unity. But in practice, it is that relationship that we have with our creator, with God, with mankind, with humanity and nature. When that system is broken down, that's when you begin to look outside of yourselves for answers of sustainability. And when you have this, what we call, Lokahi is actually the ancestral wellness blueprint, right? And when you have this intact, then you can you you look towards Keokua, you look to God, you look to the Creator, you look to family, you look to nature for your source, for your sustenance. And when you are taken away from these, which as we were, from this basic practice, that's when the breakdown begins to happen. And you look outside of yourself for approval, mm-hmm. look out of yourself, outside of yourself uh, for sustainability. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Richie. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different places I could start. I think um, one of the first things I'd like to ask a question on is how much of it, you kind of alluded to it earlier there when you were talking about land ownership and you probably looked at it different. I could imagine, based on uh, the few Hawaiians that I know growing up that don't actually would go there quite often too, um, I don't really think they ever thought of we own the land where we interact with the land. So, I mean, part mm-hmm. of that could have just been other people taking advantage of the situation too, right? Because I, I kind of think back even to like Indians and I'm making a scenario up. I obviously wasn't there, but, oh, here's some beads for the land. And the Indians are like, sure, we don't own the land. You're like, sure, mm-hmm. take some beads. Like, why would they want to give us beads? We move around and mm-hmm. work with the earth, you know, mm-hmm. and so other people taking advantage of those scenarios meets a culture that doesn't even see it as something like, how could you own land, Mm. right? We get everything we need and all our substance and the fish, like we have to work together with the land. So how much of it, one, do you think was just literally somebody taking advantage of a culture that didn't even see that that is being taken advantage of, like they might have almost thought they were being uh, gifted something. Absolutely, absolutely. And in in part, Richie, um, I hope you don't mind me calling you, I'll say Richard. Yeah, no, it's both, (laughs) there's both. (laughs) That's why I have Richard, Richie, Ote everywhere, (laughs) because no problem. Okay, Um, so 
what you're sharing is in part very true. A lot of the land was given for, um, for material goods that had never been seen before. And certainly um, our community, the Native Hawaiians were taken advantage of this way. However, um, at the same time, I have to say that some of our own community, some of our own elite or ruling class was also complicit in some of this. But again, I believe it's because they've meant this to be for the betterment of the community. As we move forward, we have to advance with times and adopt Western ways. So, you know, I don't think it's solely to blame on, on simple trading and bartering. I think it was part of the evolution of our community becoming, becoming more entrenched in Western culture. Yeah. So in, in lots of ground to cover here, cause I know you, you, teach this quite extensively and, and maybe let, let's take a, a step back as far as your career goes and, to, and and then take a step forward into the work that you're doing now but for, from a career perspective what sort of work then were you doing over the course of your career and and then how does that relate to the oponopono and the other you know the work that you're doing now so i actually went to school i went to college uh, trained in the fine arts and also in the humanities. And when I came out, of, when I left college, you know what, I'm going to, I just made 59. So in those days, although you went to school for art, you were never trained how to actually market and promote yourself, right? Sure. So here I am, I come home to Hawaii and I have no clue. I literally had no clue. Mm -hmm. And so I sought the advice of, of, people in the galleries. Um, I even sought lawyers out. How do I do a contract? How do I do anything to promote myself? And the answer I was met with is um, nobody's ever asked us this question, how to market yourself. There's no business um, on how to promote artists or represent artists. So I said, you know what? <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Mm. So mm -hmm. I, uh, the very first business I owned was called Market Your Art, straight to the point. Right. And <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, no fuss, no frills. And so what I rapidly learned is that I was going to go really broke if I just went to artists and said, let me promote your art. So I, I had a business advisor and they said, if you were in any other place in Hawaii, you would be rocketing quite quickly. But Hawaii does not operate in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's circuitous. So how about you change, switch hats? work with corporations and offer your services on putting together programs, maybe maybe corporate programs that involve art. So I did that and what I found is that there is no such thing as creating leg legacy programs that incorporate not only art, but Hawaiian values and practices. And I have to say something, in Hawaii, the mainstream businesses, the big corporations, all bring in Hawaiian values and practices mm. into the company. Mm -hmm. So that's how it switched. I, I, I was so fortunate in that I began now to work hand in hand with these companies to create these social legacy programs that embrace Hawaiian values and practices and especially focus on enhancing community health and the health of our aina or nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear the I hear the nature right now. Something is <laughs> yes. Something is singing. What is it's 
that a bird? I hope that's singing. It um, is. So it is. Yeah, you know. So it's interesting. So, and I know uh, a lot of what you do too. Then is in this this world of uh, I guess you call it a, a pano pano, right? Or how do you pronounce that? How it's do you? Yeah, it's ho'oponopono. That was so close. That was like, it was so <laughs> right there. And um, and so first explain what that is and then how you apply that to some of the things that you were, you were teaching now and, and you're helping uh, others to, to, to be able to, to do by leveraging, you know, really a lot of the sort of the Hawaiian principles, if you will. So, and I have to say, sh- Mahalo, Kelly, because Kelly really was um, said, you need to talk about Ho'oponopono. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> Ho'oponopono is a Hawaiian practice, to meet, which means to come into balance with yourself. So Pono means to be in balance, to be in integrity. In Hawaiian culture, when you repeat the word, it emphasizes the mana or what is called the sacred energy. So ho'oponopono, to come into balance with yourself, to come into balance not only with yourself, but with your family, with your community, with nature. Mm-hmm. And so the belief system is ho'oponopono begins with your relationship again with the creator, with God. Because, you know, the creator, God, is your witness. And so if you have the ability to go inward, and to self-examine and to understand the situation that you're in and what brought you here without laying blame, with clearly being with, with being very pragmatic and saying, questioning, you know, what brought me here and what could I have done to maybe circumnavigate this? And now that I'm here, more importantly, what are my lessons? Mm-hmm. And if I can't get these lessons by myself, who do I seek? And the first line is always going back to creator, to God, and to your ancestors or your Aumakua, who are not only your ancestors, they're your guides. So again, it's very sustainable, right? It's very much an autonomous way of being. And then once you seek this clarification, or you feel like you're in a place where you can go outward and ask for outside help, you do that. And that is the practice of Ho'oponopono, a personal Ho'oponopono, being in balance and understanding that in a Hawaiian cosmology, you are at the center of the universe and how you feel and what you think and how your actions are in the world creates the ripple effect of what's happening in the outer world. Yeah. Hmm. So as we, so going back then to my son's, predicament here and the the story that I shared earlier how I guess what I'm trying to understand is are there how would Hawaiian principles and those teachings and and you know the whole discussion around you know your ancestors and this then like what how does this tie back then to to what you were teaching is there where is the intersection between what you're teaching and what he's going through Okay, so um, as I go forward, I want to also clarify that I was raised by my kupuna, by my elders in the Lono tradition. And Lono, as you may know, um, we're polytheistic. So we, we not only 
respect and believe in Keokoi and God, but we also have different gods in a pantheon. And so our family tradition is the Lono tradition, and Lono is the Hawaiian god of peace, love, healing, and fertility. Mm-hmm. And it goes beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so when we look at this, we understand that if we are born and we have a specific purpose, a specific kuleana or responsibility in this world, that means we're going to have situations, including people, that come to us for our learning. So when these people, anybody comes to you, it's an opportunity to go through a portal. And basically the portal is to understand what this meeting is about. We can choose to continue the relationship or we can choose to not continue the relationship But basically, if the relationship is continued, then you have to look at the prior agreement that your soul and the other person's soul had prior to this meeting. Mm. So that is our belief system is that we have the privilege of coming to the earth this lifetime in human form to work out our lessons that we didn't learn from the past lifetime so we can continue to spiritually evolve. So it really is a matter of how we handle it. And then in your case as a parent, the agreement is you've also been in this situation before with this young man, with the student who's troubled. Mm -hmm. And so how do you work it out with the student in the situation so that when we talk about Ho'oponopono, the resolution is arrived at in a way that's not laying blame, but really understanding the young man's situation his background, and how this came to be so that Ho'oponopono in a family, so Ho'oponopono is a family tradition, Mm -hmm. right? So when all parties come together, you agree to sit together until resolution is made. And that resolution is that people leave with an understanding of why the situation occurred without laying blame, with understanding full accountability for why the situation evolved to this place and then come to an agreement of how you can resolve it to everyone's satisfaction before leaving the table. And I have to tell you, Ho'oponopono is also practiced by Harvard Law School because Harvard and other institutions, if you will, across Mm -hmm. the road have recognized that when you have situations like this, going into a court of law is not necessarily the right thing to do because they may start up more antagonistic feelings and is really necessary. And I have to say, when you have Ho'oponopono, you can't have it as a family until both parties agree you're going to sit down for as long as it takes to resolve it satisfactorily in a way that's peaceful, in a way that's peaceful. Hmm. Easier said than done. Yeah, this is always <laughs> so interesting, these type conversations for me, because w- what is a sign, right? And so a lot of what you were talking about there, we, we have so many different ways we can interpret. Let's just start with the two basic ones, how we think about something and how we feel about something. And so when you're trying to sit down and work these situations out, how how do you come to know what is the right thing to be looking at right like oh it's 12 12 on my digital clock right now does is 
It's always 9-11 on my digital you know? I always see 9-11. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like you can make a sign kind of be. So how in your culture do you work with that and in, in kind of not to stay forever on the Steve scenario, but it, it does kind of fit here. Um, one, how do you deal with it? And then two, I would say, again, it, it would be kind of binary. Some issues come in life because we're supposed to learn something from it and push through that thing. And sometimes it's maybe to change a way we look at something and let something go, I, if I was to kind of look at the two ways. And so in a situation like this, what would your gut or what feeling scenario comes up for you as something that might be going on and a lesson that could be learned because there's a lot of moving parts there. Now you got the police department and the school knows and like there's going to be a lot of judgment going on on both sides, right? And so how would you deal with that specifically or walk, pretend like we're all sitting down have, going through this process? What does that look like or feel like? So when you go through a family ho'oponopono situation such as this, you always have what we call a haku, H-A-K-U. And the haku, I mean, if you're going to liken it to, um, well, it's a mediator, right? A haku is a mediator. And this haku is very, is impartial, and it's chosen by both sides for not only wisdom, but also a knowledge of the type of situation that's brought up and also the ability to, to be able to, to read the signs. When I say read the signs, not only in, in, in a Western psychological sense, but the, what we call the whole Ilona, which are the omens in a, in a traditional Hawaiian sense, right? So you are guided in this process. So the, the haku would be the one to elicit the, the conversation they lead the discussion. So everyone cannot be speaking out of turn. So they lead the discussion and they elicit the information and the questions. They are the ones who, who create the dialogue together. And specifically in this case, you would have to understand the family dynamics and the family background of this young man. Right? Mm -hmm. You would have to understand. And so by understanding the family background and situation of this young man, you might also ask the question, has this ever happened with other people? Um, you might also ask, has he been in counseling before? Um, what has resulted? So you want to basically understand what led up to the situation when the young man is actually then calling and, and threatening violence, mm -hmm. terroristic threat against these four these four students, you want to understand the journey that brought the young man to this place. Mm -hmm. And then with the other, I don't know the other four people, um, if you met them yet, the other four young, including your son, Steve, um, but you also need to understand their part in this and how they may have interacted with the young men as well. And that also goes yeah. back to, to parents, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and do the, any of these um, young people have also a history of being in a similar situation? So everyone's history is brought up mm. to understand. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, as you said that, it started to make me think about just trying to break it down to the basic, basic level. And again, I don't know anything about this. I don't know the people, so I'm not trying to... Um, but maybe, as a hypothetical, in this family, it's 
if someone can't have something, then nobody's going to have that thing. Right. And so and I'm not trying to like your son's not a thing, but, you know, here he likes this other person. This other person's not giving them the affection back or whatever it is they want back. And OK, well, if if I can't have it, then no one mm-hmm. it's some sort of that dynamic. And again, I'm taking bits and pieces. I don't know. But I can see where as I talk it out here with you or we talk it out here with you, I could see what you mean. There's just so many moving pieces that you just have to be willing to take the time to try to find truth, not to try to find who's right. That's correct. That's correct. I mean, so much, I think, um, whether in this kind of situation or a business situation, any situation, I think in Western society, we're so poised and trained to be dominant, right? To want to be the one that's right, to have all the answers. And that's not the case. There are many ways to approach a situation or a problem. And this is what Ho'oponopono is calling for. Let's look at all the different scenarios before we, and it's not about a judgment, right? It's about resolution Mm -hmm. and compassion. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So let's let's step through um, something else here that I know is kind of a, well, it's a unique concept to me, but something that's pretty near and dear to you then, the um, the whole discussion around, I, I think you pronounce it Lakahi. How do you pronounce that? Lokahi. Lokahi. Yeah. So Lokahi. what so what what exactly is that and how does that apply to some of the things that you do with, with your clients and um and or perhaps in uh, in this situation my son again, uh, wherever you want to take that. But that's uh that that's something I think has has bearing on this conversation, no? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Lokahi is a Hawaiian value that actually means harmony and unity. Mm-hmm. When you say ho'o, again, like ho'oponopono, when you add the word ho'o in front of lokahi, that means to make peace. So lokahi as a practice, if you were to look at an illustration, it would be this equilateral pyramid or triangle. At the very apex is keakua or creator or God. On the left side is kanaka or humanity. On the right side is aina or nature. So it is this ancestral blueprint for wellness. And we spoke about this earlier in that when you look at always having a harmonious relationship between Kiakua, creator God, humanity, and nature, that sustains you. That actually gives you, not only sustains you, it creates a sense of self-sufficiency and knowing that you can provide you can come to the answers yourself without looking outwards for validation. And I think that's so important to young people, especially today, right? With social media and bullying, especially um, not conforming when in younger people, I mean, it's like, it's a peer pressure many times to conform, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at Lokahi in the larger sense and the program that um, I was very, blessed to bring through me called live lokahi which is again to to live in harmony it really looks at your way of being in the world in a very conscious way right again you came here with a specific kuleana a specific responsibility of a purpose and that involves not only the gifts that are given to you by your creator by the ancestors but the gifts that you 
receive throughout your lifetime. So when you look at these gifts and the responsibility that you have to leave, to actually help to enhance a better community, and when you leave, to leave behind a better world, and that includes taking care of nature mm -hmm. so that we have resources that are continue to sustain our future generations, it's a very different way that you interact in the world. Mm -hmm. So as a legacy program that we bring into companies, to corporations, that switches it away from the me, me, I, I, let's make a big, you know, the, the big bang as a corporation and doing this legacy program um, for, for, um, for notoriety, it takes it to, uh-uh, this is co-created. This mm -hmm. program has to be co-created with the community because community has vision and they know what they want. And so it's no longer from the uh, top down, it's from grassroots mm -hmm. up. Yeah, not, not, not that we want to get, you know, overly political here on, on the show, but I would think that when you look at a lot of the teachings that are passed down from generation to generation there that, that you've been the recipient of, and of course with the, the discussions around ancestry and the ancestral lineage and so on, I mean, just you guys have got to be sitting there as a culture kind of feeling like what's going on in the world is the polar opposite of, of so much of what you so much of what you teach you no, know, and so much of what you believe in how it, first and foremost is that is that true and second of all as as a culture i mean are these discussions you guys are having and what's the general sense of the world at large as in terms of how it um, potentially, yeah, I don't want to say absolutely, but potentially here flies in the face of, of so much of what you believe in. So Hawaii, I, I shared this earlier, Hawaii is, I think we're number two in the U.S. as the healthiest place to live in the world. Mm -hmm. So I have to state that. And it's because we have, you know, our nature is magnificent here and our community is very close knit. Um, there is very few pure Hawaiians left, right? The culture, Native Hawaiians are are widely married with, with the different, with our, I mean, I, again, most of us are hapa here. We're Hawaiian, we're hapa, we're of mixed ancestry. So we have this beautiful bridging together of different cultural traditions. And we absolutely, absolutely are having these very important conversations in terms of how do we go back to becoming sustainable again? We actually have courses in the University of Hawaii teaching how to be uh, how to be sustainable through the Ahupua, which is the traditional Hawaiian land um, that runs from the mountains to the ocean. And we're actually pretty much, from as far as I know, we're leading the U.S. in terms of programs of sustainability within within government. Mm -hmm. So. You know, we, when I say we, the Hawaiian community, we are resilient. And I think that it's my personal experience that when we go through something like a cultural genocide, as we did in the Hawaiian community, right, it is actually an opportunity to consciously evolve. And Hawaiian culture is spiritually based. So we do look at this as an opportunity to rise above what we call the Kalmaha syndrome, the, to be depressed and downtrodden. It's an opportunity to consciously evolve. Mm 
and we are evolving. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. oversimplify, but I'd imagine like you don't fight a volcano. A volcano is happening and you don't you're not going to win that battle. And so you kind of you have to work with situations and probably in a situation like this to his point, you know, we don't even need to say like current political scenarios or whatever. It's instead of trying to worry about changing somebody else, you probably want to even more so go within yourself and what are you here to do? Mm-hmm. That's exactly spot on, Richard. And I'm glad you brought up the volcano as an example because as you know, our volcano erupted for a very long time and many people lost their homes. They lost their livelihoods. And I was so proud of our community because not once on the mainstream media, when they were interviewed, people who lost their homes and their livelihoods, not once did anyone say, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have been living in the lava zone. Everyone that I saw at least said, well, we accept this. I mean, we knowingly lived in the lava zone. And this is where Tutu Pele, this is where grandmother Pele lives. So if she decides to flow and erupt, that's part of nature and we accept it. I should send those clips over to New Orleans. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're, I mean, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but you, you're, you're in a levee. Yeah, uh, and below sea level or right at sea level yeah. or something of that nature with the rising... It comes yeah, with the territory. It comes with the territory. All right, so let, let me ask you a question because I know you've got, you're involved with an, a number of different things. Um, you know, Kelly made mention of some sort of interesting canoe-type voyage or something that you got going on. What, what is that all about? Oh, my goodness. Well, actually, I'm very, very proud to be a part of it. Um, I want to I want to go back in. Sure. The Hawaiian Renaissance actually happened when I was 12 years old. So I was born in 1960, 1972. So mm. that's when our first canoe was built. And that's a Hokulea. And that was very significant because when the Hokulea was built, that was a traditional Polynesian voyaging canoe. You had to understand and learn the skills of traditional Hawaiian navigation, right? And and our community learned this from Maul Pilog, Micronesian, uh, a, a pole and master navigator. But that was a signal for not only Hawaiian culture, but other communities worldwide to pay attention to your ancestors and the gifts they gave you and the skills and go, return back to this. Why? Because as you learn traditional navigational skills, again, you learn how to navigate your way in the world. Going back to you are at the center of your universe and how you are in the road affects the road around you. So my kupuna, Halemakua, my elder, Halemakua, was a spiritual elder involved with the Hokulea, as well as the Makali'i. And Makali'i is our canoe, our traditional voyaging canoe here on Hawaii Island that left for Papahanaumokuakea, the northernmost Hawaiian islands. And most people don't even know that there's more than the eight main Hawaiian islands, right? Mm. And Papahanaumokuakea is very sacred. And the Makali'i Voyaging Canoe went there on a magnificent journey to, again, help the next generation reclaim navigational skills. And they were totally provisioned by food grown by the community, which is huge. Huge. Wow. So what's so obviously you've got that going on and what what else are you doing right now? I mean, are you still going into companies or, and trying to help them to, to bring some of these 
Hawaiian principles, if you will, into the into the workplace. Just give us an understanding of, of how you're you're trying to to, to mesh the, the two worlds right now. So all right, I've been doing this for twenty something years, right? Uh-huh. Um, I began in my oh god, I okay, yeah. I began in my mid thirties, seriously, um, launching these legacy programs of Lokahi. And I have to say, those of us who began way back then, it's exciting to see the evolution because when I began, no one even knew what a Hawaiian cultural consultant was, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so now I continue to to bring, to work with companies who want to practice lokahi. And so, yes, I continue to build social legacy programs for companies, not only based in Hawaii, but elsewhere. Why? Because companies around the world are recognizing that the basic practice of lokahi is so important for their well-being. Yeah, thank you for asking that, Steve. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, look, let's uh, let, let's give you an opportunity here to, to let folks get in touch with you. And uh, so if folks more, want more information, uh, where should they go? What should they do? So my website is www.laniyamasaki.com, and they can find more about our programs there, including Live Lokahi. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, that would be the best place. And Steve, yes, um, you know, I just went through Launch Your Podcast. You um, did. It's true. I did. I did. So we are launching a new podcast called Lit Lokahi, which will be launching the end of June. That's awesome. And you can find us there. Um, you subscribe to iTunes. Yeah. And actually, as long as we've got you here for, for just a couple more seconds, let me ask you this. So you've been to the New Media Summit, Yes. Yeah. How many, yes. Have you been to two of them now or just one? Just one. Just one, right. Just one. Just one. So what was what was that experience like for you? Because you, you obviously have a very unique niche and you do, you know, interesting things that aren't so commonplace, right? I mean, a lot of people think they come to the summit and they do some interesting, unique things. It's not really the right venue for them. What, what was your experience at the New Media Summit as an attendee? And how has that helped you uh, as far as building authority in your niche and, and monetizing your expertise and, and so on? That was an amazing experience and that I began to realize, first of all, as an attendee, I was meeting with so many like-minded uh, kindred spirits. I was blown away by the caliber of people mm. that New Media Summit and yourself and your whole team attracts. Yeah. And it was so validating to be able to share what my purpose is, what my mission is, and finding that so many other people there were there to be of service, were there to serve community and nature. Um, and so I I would, being able to to share my story, my two-minute pitch, mm-hmm. I, I was very pleasantly surprised to be well received. Mm-hmm. Um, I received, I think, uh, twelve invitations and other invitations to further talk wow. story. Yeah, it was mind blowing for my first time out. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So, would yeah. you how, would would you recommend others come to the the new media some of people that might be on the fence? I mean, we and yeah. I will say this: we are sold out for September. So, folks, if you wanted to join us at a future New Media Summit, that is awesome. And we'd love to have you there. September's event in San Diego uh, is sold out. So make sure you get yourself on the 
waiting list there for March, and uh, I think uh, we're locking on the dates right now. I think it'll be that first that first week in March. Uh, we'll do it again in San Diego, but it's a rare opportunity for you to come and meet our team and uh, 39 other podcasts are represented there, and you have an opportunity to pitch all of us and uh, get booked on our shows on the spot. So if people are kind of on the fence uh, about coming to a, a new media summit, what would you tell them? Go. <laughs> it, it really it, it is life-changing. And, and for me and other um, newbies, right, to understand that here's a platform, and I'm an introvert. I, I, am, a, I am a true introvert. And so when you arrive at the New Media Summit and you understand that there is an amazing ability to create a platform to share your message, it's a real, it's, it's a switch in your mind. Mm. And it's encouraging. It gives you hope. It really gives you hope. So, folks, please. Please sign up for the Media Summit. Yeah. yeah. And and lastly, here, not trying to turn this into a complete commercial, but as long as we got you <laughs> on and we got in a couple more minutes here, you you uh, had an opportunity to come and also do our launch, your podcast, two-day intensive, where we take people from zero to launch in just two days and help you with the intro and the outro and the artwork. And we do the pre-event training sessions and the post-event training sessions. We even give you the equipment uh, as well, and uh, our team works with you for a good couple of months there, if not more, when we're all said and done. I mean, we do it in person for two days, but when you think about all the pre-event and post-event stuff that we do for you, uh, including pr full production of, uh, of eight episodes, uh, what would you tell folks who are thinking about maybe having our team launch their podcast for them? I would do it in a sh I would encourage people to do it. And even if you're, you know, tech savvy, what I learned, I mean, Doug Strickland, Marjorie, amazing team. Yeah. Um, they really handheld us the entire way. And the instruction still continues. So for somebody like me that is not only an introvert, but tech's very tech challenge, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're seriously, their patients, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So absolutely. Awesome. Um, don't do it by yourself. Actually, take the course. Take Launch Your Podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we are doing another Launch Your Podcast in-person two-day intensive, July 22nd and 23rd uh, in San Diego. I think we have three seats left for that right now. So you can go to launchyourpodcast.net and get more information on that, launchyourpodcast.net. Uh, if you do want to join us at a future New Media Summit, uh, you can go to newmediasummit.net and put yourself on the wait list there for a future event. And then, of course, Lani Yamasaki, L-A-N-I-Y-A-M-A-S-A-K-I.com for more information about Lani. Lani, thank you so much for being with us here on Reinvention Radio. Great hanging out with you. For Richie Ote, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you next time. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you.
you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.